Des Moines. Now, today's biggest stories from the BMW of Des Moines Sports Desk. This is an X's and O's update on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And I'm Trent Condon. Iowa State football coach Matt Campbell announced today the additions of two coaches to the staff. Former Cyclone All-American Joel Lanning, along with Kyle Kempt, will be back with the team in a coaching capacity as quality control assistants. The high school state softball tournament brackets were revealed last night after the regional finals. In Class 4A, Carlisle, the number one seed, while Dallas Center Grimes will be the sixth seed opposite Charles City. In Class 5A, Waukee the top seed. They'll face Ottumwa, Indianola against Johnston, and Valley faces Fort Dodge. State tournament play begins on Monday. We go to baseball. The Cubs dug themselves a hole early against Cincinnati. They come back to force extra innings, and then this. Schwarber drives one in the air, left center field and deep. Back toward the wall, near the fence. It's got a chance! Cubs win! Schwarber, a game-winning home run. The call from 670, the score as Schwarber hits his 21st home run of the year. A 4-3 win for Chicago. The Brewers trying to keep pace with Atlanta in town. And the reigning MVP, Christian Yelich, goes deep again. Yelich, a drive, right center. And it's a grand slam. First of the year for the Brewers. The call on Fox Sports Wisconsin as Yelich hits his 33rd home run of the season. Today, a heavy slate of Major League Baseball starts at 12-10 with the Twins hosting the Mets. 12-15, the Cardinals host the Pirates. 1-10, the Brewers and the Braves. And the Cubs and Reds finish up their series at 1-20. It'll be you, Darvish, for the Cubs against Sonny Gray. Tomorrow, the Open Championship gets started in Northern Ireland. 12-35, the first tee time. Zach Johnson tees off at 3.47 a.m. And Tiger Woods at 9-10. Tomorrow and Friday, Miller & Condon goes on the road with live shows from Chicago and Big Ten Media Days, presented by Thunderhead Sports Bar in Ankeny and Three Sons Bar & Grill in West Des Moines. Stay up to date at KXNO.com and all day on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Live from the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Jefferson Studios, you'd rather be here. This is 1460 KXNO. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. They are Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, with you for the next couple of hours. Glad you're with us. Hope you can stay with us uh, right up until noon. Coming up on the program today, we will... I'll put a capper on the uh, Big 12 Media Days. Alex Halstead uh, from CycloneAlert.com, part of 24-7 Sports. He's back on the ground. Uh, he will join us at 1025 and get the final thoughts as far as what uh, he saw over the two-day event uh, in Dallas. Uh, particularly uh, spending some focus on Iowa State, or the main focus on Iowa State. Who, By the way, Kyle Kemp and Joel Lanning, as you heard in Trent's update, both uh, been added to the uh, the football staff for good for those two gentlemen who will begin their coaching career. And Trent, they'll do so right at the bottom. Yes, yes. It's not a, oh, here's a job you're going to be making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah. 
bottom of the totem pole you're and taking, work your way up. Yeah, you're not taking the quarterbacks. You're you're taking the video and you're yes. splicing it up. But you know what? Uh, good for them. Everybody's got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, two really uh, real important cyclones over the Campbell era, no doubt about it. Joel Lanning and Kyle Kemp getting an opportunity at their alma mater to uh, stick around and um, begin their coaching career. Alex Halstead, 1025. Matt Rudy. Yes, Matt Rudy, Golf Digest. It's the Open Championship tomorrow. The British Open gets underway in the wee hours. Uh, Matt Rudy will join us wee hours of the uh, of the morning, I guess, tomorrow. But Matt Rudy will opine on what he expects to see and look forward to that conversation at ten forty five. Uh, at eleven twenty, Cappy is here. Looking forward to our conversation with Cappy. Boy, that uh, Kyle Schwarber blast into the basket at Wrigley Field, and I've seen more balls, home run balls, end up in the basket this last two nights than I think I have this seen. It's this odd, enti- isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Disproportionate amount of home runs. But you know what? They all count the same. Uh, But Cappy will join us. We will recap uh, last night and take a look at where these Cubs are. Two weeks from today is the trade deadline. Cappy brought to us by Centurion Stone of Iowa. And then John Miller going to, as we transition from the Big 12 to the Big 10. As you heard in our update, Trent and I will be in Chicago broadcasting live, well, 24 hours from right now and 48 hours from right now. Both of our shows, Thursday and Friday, will come to us from the Hilton on Michigan Avenue. Look forward to being down there. Now, schedule-wise, yes, we're on the air tomorrow morning. The event doesn't get started. Right. Now, Delaney will be there. I believe he speaks at 11. Does he? He goes at eleven. He okay. goes at eleven, and uh, then after that, it'll be the guy that runs BTN now, which is not yeah. Mark Silverman. No, not anymore. He is now at Big Fox. He runs the sports mm-hmm. side of things, and uh, so it's a new name and a name that I didn't remember when I saw kind of the rundown of everything. The agenda. So those two will be going as we're on the air for that uh, first uh-huh. uh, for the for our second hour at eleven o'clock. And then the coaches start right at noon. Yeah, and we'll be, I mean, that'll be, work out very well for us tomorrow because we'll be able to see or listen to half of the coaches tomorrow. But then on Friday, we've been told we will not get Kirk Ferentz. Um, he's just got so many, he's, he's, he's torn in so many different directions, yes. right? Yep. Big Ten Network wants him. Fox wants him. They look off, uh, of course, he's going to be on the stage, but he'll be on stage on Friday morning. He kicks off the day Friday at uh, 8 o'clock. So, um, maybe we can get him in kind of a side session yep. if that. But the good news is, while we don't get the head coach, we get all three of the student athletes that will be accompanying and representing Iowa there. Nate Stanley, Oja Moody, and of course Young, Torn Young, will be there, and they're all scheduled to stop by. Do we know what time yet, or just not officially? Yep, they were going to wait on that. I TBD. was talking uh, with Steve Rowe, who says hello to you, by the way. I look forward to seeing Steve in Chicago, absolutely. And uh, they're going to kind of finalize exactly plans, what the morning was going to look like, and when they're going to be strolling through Radio Row to stop by and say hello. So you know, we'll get five, seven minutes with each yep. of the players. That'll be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, interested in a couple different you know avenues and. You know, outside of Nate Stanley, I don't think I've heard a whole lot from Michael Ojemudi. You saw Scott Dockerman's piece on him. I did, yep. A, uh, the athletic. Yes. Growing en- up and the relationship, him and his father. Yep. An engineer in engineering school. Mm-hmm. I know friends that went through that. I was not smart enough for mm-hmm. it. So uh, a very, very, you can tell, a guy that understands exactly what he wants to do. This turned out to be a pretty good cornerback, too, for yes, the Hawkeyes. Yes, no doubt. Yeah, the Torn Young and talking about the running back position. And Torn Young, when he's had opportunities... Mm-hmm. He's played really well. He was going to be the guy last year, Trent. That uh, that was the thought. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. You know what I'm going to talk to Nate Stanley about? 
I, I will talk to you about a number of things, but you know what's going to be maybe the first thing on my list? The Manning passing yeah. camp. You love the Manning passing I just camp. think it's an opportunity for him just to be surrounded by his peers. You know, not necessarily, of course, I would, I would like to think that Peyton or Eli, you know, uh, something that they shared with him rubbed off on him, but just to be surrounded by the best quarterbacks in college football, you can't help, I would think, but absorb that, and you know, maybe some of the quarterbacks took something away from Nate Stanley. Speaking of that, as you know, this is the time of year where our email uh, list gets inundated with watch lists, right? And it's one after another, mm-hmm. and usually it's for me. Click and delete. I, I uh, don't even open them. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm the same way as you. But I was talking with somebody uh, last night about the Davy O'Brien list, and uh-huh. so I took a look and went through it, and boy, are there a ton of good quarterbacks in college yeah. football this year. Right. I, that, that's a ton of the SEC. The oh, yeah. From Jake Bentley, who you know I love at yep. South Carolina, and yep. this is listed alphabetically. Alan Bowman, Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. My guy, Charlie Brewer at Baylor. Who Wells, by the way, said, uh, uh, back to Bowman, is healthy, fully healthy. Ian Book, back for his yep. senior year at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Joe Burrow at LSU. He had a nice year kind of coming out of the I'm telling you, I know you and Bam are down on this guy. If you read The Athletic, and I know you do, they Mm -hmm. hired a quarterback guru away from the Saints. His last name is Brady. He's a young kid. And they're raving about what he did at the pro level and what they believe he's going to do for Joe Burrow in his final season at LSU. KJ Costello at Stanford has a chance to be a first-round draft pick. Mm -hmm. JT Daniels is a USC guy. He played last Mm -hmm. year as a freshman. Ellinger. Mason Fine at Texas, North Texas was North really Texas, good. Right. Felipe Franks, he took a big progression a year ago. Justin do, you know, Herbert. do you know how tall Felipe Franks is? I didn't realize this. 6'4? Six, 6'6. Six, six. Six, six. Wow. That's it. That is a I, lot I didn't bigger think than he I was that. Me too. thought he was a tall drink of water, mm-hmm. kind of spindly, mm-hmm. would be the way that I'd probably describe it. He him, had a bounce back year last yes. year. And on and on and on. From Trevor Lawrence to Tua, of course, the guys here locally that are on this list too. Jay Patterson, Stephen Montez, Kellen Mond, Cole McDonald, Adrian Martinez. And, and this is half the list. Get to the P's. <laughs> Jay Patterson, Bryce Perkins, Brock Purdy. There you go. That's the one I was waiting to hear. He is on there? I said Good. the Iowa guys. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, all right. I threw them both in mm-hmm. there. This college football, with this many good quarterbacks... Good place to be. Totally agree with you, Trent. That's an excellent point. Um, well, good. Both of them made it. So Nate mm-hmm. Stanley's going to join us. Ojemudi is going to join us. Young is going to join us. They're all on Friday. They don't even get there tomorrow, I don't think, right? right. Yeah, they, they plan on coming in either late. I would think Thursday. Thursday. Because you want to take the guys out for a nice dinner in Chicago. Right. Yep. Um, that's not against NCAA rules because you're there for an NCAA event. So take the boys to Gibson's or one of the fine steakhouses. What is it? Chicago Cut, I think, is Cappy's place. Oh, really? Yeah, we've already taped Cappy, so we can't ask him that. Of course, David Kaplan, we have to tape every morning at 830 uh, because he's on the air right now in Chicago. But we have Cappy at 1120. So I don't know if you saw yesterday, but Dan Wolken of the USA Today, I think we both enjoy his Mm -hmm. work. We talked about him quite a bit in the past. And he brought up an interesting point about media days. And if it's time for I saw that. a shakeup of, of how it's done, mm-hmm. which I can buy. I, I can understand it. I enjoy it. I like right. doing it. But the excitement, the buzz, does it does it launch you into college football his season point like it was, once did? That's, that's exactly his point. His point was there was a time where college football needed to jumpstart the buzz around the sport. Mm-hmm. Well... Really? No, I don't think that the, I don't think that these have run their course, Trent. I really don't because it, it reignites the passion. It's mm-hmm. the, 
uh, the, the magazines are the unofficial kind of get back to college football for me, but this is on that very short list, right? Mm-hmm. It's another checkpoint as we go to fall cap starting and then the actual local teams media days. Yeah, I saw the piece. I didn't read it in detail, um, but but look how many people are still attending these things. I mean, oh, yeah, media-wise, yeah. I just saw a picture on Twitter, the crowd around Tua. I guess really no surprise, sure. right? It's in Hoover, Alabama, after all. Um but just the the number of media, Big Twelve media day looked. At, you'll be blown away by how many people are in Chicago tomorrow. When was the last time you were there? It's been a while, it right? It has been. I want to say maybe twenty fifteen. It keeps growing. Yeah, it, it just keeps growing. Uh, and I'm, I assume that this is going to be the case um, every year. SEC is a zoo. Uh, ACC is underway now. Bill Bender is down there at Charlotte, right? Is yes. that where it yep. is? And I'm not sure when the Forgotten Conference, the Pac-12, they really are. Yes. What a sight I to mind. That Pac-12 network and the DTV uh, dispute continues on. They have, they have no carriage there. And sadly, it's going to prevent us from seeing some of the marquee games, one of which I better not be Utah and Washington. Oh, you think that's they're going to put it on there? I hope they wouldn't. I mean, that's the one of their biggest games of the uh, of the year in that conference. Not but the only one. but That's how you get carriage, though, is you yeah. put those big games on there. I remember right. way back in the day, Duke-Carolina, big basketball yeah. game. They put it on the deuce. Right. People freaked yeah, out. I remember that. And then very shortly afterwards, all cable systems started picking up ESPN, the, too. You know, back in the day, that's bad. That's a good one for Zubin next week. Uh, you're going to be gone doing softball, so yeah. maybe I'll go back in the Wayback Machine with Zubin. ESPN2. Who started it? Um, Keith the, Oberman. And they dressed him up. and it was, The leather him, jacket. The leather jacket. Yes. And Susie Kolber? Yes, yes, that's a good call, a good pull there. Yeah. And is that where was was it on ESPN two where Jim Everett cold cock Jim Rome? I think you're right. Yes, that absolutely. The sounds. year was was it 1992? Is that when it was? Is that when it is came? 92. I don't know. I think it was early 90s. Because I want to okay. say I was in Denver when the uh, and I lived there 91 to 94 when that network launched. I don't recall. I'm uh, I'm checking back the debut. Was October 1993 because okay. when well, ESPN two for launched, sure. is uh, when that that's came right. Out. Olbermann in the leather and jacket. Yes, Susie Colburn. She's got some shoulder pads in that jacket. She's Does wearing. she? Oh, the the early nineties look is <laughs> seeing some pictures and images here from from back there. And he said something just absolutely great. Olbermann as he took the air, and I can't remember exactly the quote. That's what I, I was looking for. It was basically, "This is ESPN two. Welcome to the end of my career." Is that what he said? <laughs> Something like that. So it's kind of, I drew the short straw? Uh, yeah, pretty pretty wow. much, yes, yes. So they've parked me over here, and what does that say to uh-huh. me? That my career is not long for the four-letter network. Interesting. Well, it certainly survived, and they've gone on expanded from there. All right, a couple of minutes on the Cubs. Boy, that uh, Schwarber home run, Trent. Felt like a collective sigh of relief from everybody in attendance at Wrigley Field last night. Look, Alec Mills uh, was down 3 nothing. After the first inning. And thought, I had the thought of that. Oh I'm my sure God. you did. Yes. Why is why is he there and Ray's not? Yes. Where is Colin Ray? Right. Make it work. Figure it out. Colin yep. Ray should be a part of a 40-man roster in baseball. Mm-hmm. If it's not going to be with the Cubs, where is it going to be? Trade him away. Right. Instead. You get this back. stiff <laughs> who can't pitch, a, can't pitch a lick. Nope. He hit two batters, including, well, maybe we should save that for later on. I wish I would have brought this up with Cappy, and I forgot uh, to do so. Um, but Dietrich, mm. yo, you want him on your team, I guess. Yeah. 
but he, he doesn't even try to get out of the way. No. And, and that, that interference play uh, with Rizzo on the base pass last night, I guess it's the right play, but he certainly knew. You know what he is? If he was a basketball player, he's Aaron White. That you think... See, you're, you're Aaron White. Yeah, thing. I, I don't I like don't, Aaron White. I, I'd like Aaron White at the, between the years. I didn't like the way he played the game, and I don't like people that try to take shortcuts. What I perceive as a shortcut, full disclosure. But Diedrich, he's a 215 hitter. Yeah, but... How are you going to survive? Well, he's not hit very by good. pitches. I know, I know, I know. He's not very good, so this is how he's you He's had a nice year this year, though. I mean, he's had a nice percentage year. is up at 350 when you're a 215 hitter because you're getting plunked all the time. Yeah. Yeah, make yourself a commodity, and, and he knew absolutely what he was doing oh, when yeah. he ran in front of Rizzo. I mean, there's no ifs ands or buts about it. Look, he's a smart player. Aaron White is a smart player, but you don't have to kick your feet out every time you go up to make a shot. We see that from Steph Curry. You know, see, I, I just hate that part of the game. Anyways, it's not basketball season. Save it for the winter. Uh, but Mills was terrific. The bullpen mm-hmm. was really good in relief once again. These home plate umpires, uh, when it's eight inches outside of the uh, of the strike zone, that's a ball every single time. Uh, just be consistent. No, get it right. Get it right. So you're still on the robo umps. I am, Trent. I, I was watching. Oh, maybe a Sunday night baseball. I think it was, and it was another one of those that barely nicked just the smallest of portions mm-hmm. of the strike zone. The catcher was lined up inside. It was a pitch outside. Mm-hmm. It was gets, called a ball, and he gets penalized for it because the catcher lined up. He didn't hit the. It didn't hit the mitt. He didn't hit the spot. And he, I mean, he nicked Gray's. Nobody in their right mind, anybody that's watched baseball for any amount of time, would call that a strike. Mm-hmm. Yet with your robo ups that you're so in love with, I am. That's a strike. If it's it, not if a strike. A, if a little, if a little piece no, of the ball. That's, that's not what it. This is the part that bothers me. And then you hear about as they've been going through this in, in the Atlantic League. And how things are calibrated. Yeah. The umpire, when they get the ball or call strike in their ear, it actually doesn't say the full thing. And that's the other part, is there are times where it will say, it will relay to them, no call. As in, the robo-ump didn't pick it up. Well, so now you got to call it. Sure. We still so we're got, still going to have that portion. Right. We still got some tweaks. Did you hear what the players said when they were asked about robo-umps? The major league players. Many of them didn't like it. They want it. Yeah. They don't want it at all. They they like the way it is. I don't know. Just get it right. You have the technology. Um But you don't. The technology isn't perfect. No, okay, but you 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 didn't have the replay technology that's in place now needed to be developed when it was first I don't know. I think it'll happen in my lifetime. Oh, I think and so I'm old. Too. Yeah, I th- I think it will happen. That it needs to be better though. Nicking grazing a seam of the ball catching mm-hmm. The outside corner of the plate on a slider that ends up being caught four feet outside. And that's a strike. That's not well, a strike. Well, if it goes through the strike zone at any point, shouldn't it be a strike? Not where it ends up. And what's the difference between Judge and Altuve and their strike zones and how you calibrate mm. that and on and on and uh-huh. on? I just think there is way some too work much to do. right now. I don't yes. disagree with that point. There's some work to do, But clearly. yes, it will happen. You are right there. Uh-huh. And I'm old. So that means, you know, maybe in the next 15, 20 years, this. Uh, oh, it'll happen well before that. And it'll work its way up through the minor leagues. I mean, that's where all of these, mm-hmm. you know, kind of off the wall type of things, out of the box thinking, that's where those things uh, begin. They begin down in the minor leagues. Then they tweak them. Then they go to the next level uh, before they finally put it in place. It's just, it's just frustrating. You know, it's just frustrating when a ball. Uh, who got screwed last night? Kinzer was walking off the mound. With strike three, and the umpire called the ball. Now, I think 
after the inning concluded, I believe because uh, Maldonado, the catcher, um, was walking back to the dugout. I think the umpire said something to Kinsler, the fact that, hey, I missed one. Because they were conversing. I do, too. Uh, But anyways. All right. We will uh, head to break. Yes. We'll come back uh, with Alex Halstead. Mm -hmm. Matt Rudy's going to join us in 25 minutes on the Open Championship that gets underway in the wee hours of the morning. Uh, Matt Rudy will be here. David Kaplan's going to be here at 1120 or 1115. And then John Miller on the Hawks. We're Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 146. Travel. This is Iowa State Athletics Director Jamie Pollard, and you're listening to Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. 20 minutes or so, Matt Rudy, Golf Digest, preview of the final major of uh, golf season, the Open Championship. Alex Halstead, back from Dallas. He joins us as we talk uh, a little Big 12 Media Days with a big focus here on Iowa State. Alex, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, I was just telling Trent I experienced my first triple digits day of the summer yesterday, and I come back to the morning and <clears throat> seeing triple digits the next two days. So yeah, it followed me back up here. I believe it is as well. Uh, uh, for those of you who are participating uh, in the annual KXNO uh, event, Alex, um, you know, let's, let's start with the here and now before we go back to yesterday, and then I, I guess we'll get to Monday at some point. But um, Joel Lanning, Kyle Kemp have going to begin their coaching careers at a place where they uh, played their college football. Uh, Kemp and Lanning both added to Matt Campbell's uh, staff in, uh, I guess, a video role to begin with. What are you hearing about that? Yeah, if, if you've been uh, hanging around the program this uh, summer, you probably could maybe tell that this was kind of in the works. Joel Lanning and Kyle Kemp have kind of been lingering around a little bit recently, and uh, now it's official. They're both going to be joining Matt Campbell's staff and uh, 2019. Like you said, um, it sounded yesterday um, or in recent days like uh, this is going to be some sort of video role, but I think it's going to encompass a lot of things. They are officially, I think, quality control assistants, Joe Lanning on defense and Kyle Kempt on offense. And really what it does for Iowa State is um, just gives them a couple guys who have been pretty essential in helping turn around the program in Matt Campbell's first three years. I think he wanted to a, keep those types of guys around, but also um, you know, Matt Campbell has taken an interest in the past in helping some of his former players or developing them into coaches. You look at uh, two guys in particular. Jeff Myers started his coaching career. He was an offensive lineman at Toledo. His career gets over, and he becomes a GA at Toledo in 2015. Now he's Iowa State's offensive line coach. Christian Smith uh, was a former defensive lineman for Matt Campbell at Toledo in 2014. After his career was over, he was a GA. Now he's the defensive tackles coach at South Dakota State. So. There's some history of him doing this, and uh, now he's doing it with two pretty recent guys from Iowa State. And I think the big thing is that they were, you know, pretty big players the last uh, couple of years. You know, Alex, what you do over at Cyclone Alert a lot with recruiting. I'm sure it's always interesting. The question that's posed every year at this time: some of those true freshmen that'll have an opportunity to play, guys that you get to know well during that recruiting process. When you ask the question to Matt Campbell, I know you have an article talking about the guys at CycloneAlert.com. What did Coach Campbell say about the true freshmen with chances to play? Yeah, this has always been an interesting topic. I think in the first few years it was an interesting topic because Iowa State needed guys to come in and um, add immediate impact talent you know, to the roster. <laughs> it's maybe not that reason anymore. I think now it's probably becoming harder for a true freshman to play on this roster when you look how veteran it is and how deep they are. 
But now with the new redshirt rule, you know, we saw Iowa State play 10 true freshmen last year. They burned the redshirt of three of those guys. And so when you have the ability to play guys up, into, up to four games, you're going to see more freshmen. I think it becomes a much more interesting question, not only to the recruiting people that, you know, are over on Cyclone Alert, but I think general fans are more interested in this now. And so I asked him about it yesterday. He said uh, D.J. Miller and Kimani King, two of their cornerbacks, have a really good chance um, to at least be in that competition just because they're physically mature and the cornerback position is typically a spot where you can play early in your career if if you show that you can you know go out there and do it in practice. So those were two names he mentioned. He really likes the body of Corey Suttle, you know, a six foot three, six foot four, two hundred and forty pound defensive end, right right upon his arrival. And then I think the big name is the big two names are obviously the true freshman mm-hmm. running backs, Jairo Brock and Brees Hall. Uh, they're going to get opportunity partially because their bodies are ready, but partially. Um, because Iowa State's got a big race at running back. Uh, what about the backup quarterback? Is there is there even a race there? I mean, is Real Mitchell's going to be the guy, but um, is that is that set in stone? Well, Iowa State put out its depth chart yesterday, obviously, and uh, Real Mitchell's the only guy listed other than Brock Purdy. Obviously, he's right. the number two quarterback. Um, Iowa State's trying to make sure he's ready for that role. Uh, Campbell said he's taking big strides in terms of um, becoming just a quarterback. You know, they got to focus on him being a quarterback first because he is now one step away. And so they do think he's taking strides. I think he's got to take more um, and maybe another big step in the fall to really prove that, you know, he's ready to go into that game. But uh, I think John Kohler is probably right there, you know, but that's a guy that just got here in the spring. And uh, so he's still kind of learning the offense and those sorts of things. But I think when you talk about John Kohler coming from Oklahoma State as well, uh, the fact that he knows – the Big 12 that he's been studying, you know, film in college for you know four years. Uh, I think it puts him right in that mix, and at least makes Iowa State feel comfortable that they have at least a couple guys after Brock Purdy. Oh, well, Brock Purdy clearly the guy, but Mitchell's a guy that brings so much potentially, anyways, with that speed factor alone. Uh, any conversation about you know getting him on the field in another role other than the quarterback, or because he's he's number two, and then maybe they don't know what they have in Kohler, will they err on the side of caution? In fact, you know, and throw Mitchell out there and you know get him nicked up uh, since he's your backup. How will they handle Mitchell as far as getting him involved uh, potentially in the offense? Yeah, it's got to be a little bit of a balancing act for them. You know, Matt Campbell has said first and foremost they have to approach him as being a number two quarterback because. Uh, because that's what they really need right now. But at the same time, I think there's obviously some temptation because when you have a guy that has that athleticism, um, you, you want to figure out the best ways for your team to win or for your offense to have success, and that might be trying to find other ways for him to be involved. Uh, Campbell said yesterday that there were a couple times last year when they got really close to putting him in the game for different things. And so um, that's going to probably be the big balancing act because he's going to go into fall camp and most of his reps are going to be Basically, Brock Purdy comes to the sideline and he goes out and runs his own offense. Um, and so how much time is there to, to work on some of that other stuff? How much attention do you want to pay to it? I think that's what they got to figure out. But uh, right now their focus seems to be on him at quarterback. But once you get into the season, and if you think he can make a difference, I think it's something they're still entertaining. In college football, we see a lot of guys that continue to bulk up. They move positions. They kind of move down the line from wide receiver to tight end, from tight end to offensive line, linebacker to defensive line. Will McDonald, a guy that we've been talking about a little bit more recently after Bruce Feldman put him on his freaks list for college football players coming into the year. He went the other way, though. He goes from defensive line to linebacker. What can you tell us about the outside linebacker for ISU? 
Yeah, that's that's one of the big questions on that defense. You look at that front seven, and I know Iowa State just plays six up front, but they do list four defensive linemen on their depth chart um, with a nose guard and a defensive tackle. But you look at those seven spots then on that depth chart, and virtually six of those seven are unchanged from the Alamo Bowl. It's basically everybody in pretty much the same order as they ended last season with. And that's a good sign for that defense because it means your front front two levels of that defense are veteran and they're all coming back. The one spot is the Sam linebacker spot, and that's kind of where Will McDonald fits in. He was obviously a defensive lineman last year, played up to the max four games, and then took his red shirt. Um, but this is a kid that's 6'4", 230, and uh, he's going to move back to the Sam linebacker spot. And you know, the most interesting thing on the depth chart, probably on the defensive side, or I guess one of the more interesting things, was that McDonald is not listed as either or. He's mm-hmm. listed as the starter right now. I asked Matt Campbell about that uh, at the end of the day yesterday, and uh, you know, he said McDonald did show them things in the spring. I said, you know, when did you guys think that he could play linebacker? And he said, honestly, not probably till midway through the spring that they felt like he can do this. So, um, you know, they needed to see it. He said they still need to see a little bit more. Obviously, he's new to coverage and things like that. Uh, but you mentioned the freak thing. I mean, he's just so athletic. And if he has another, say, 10 pounds and he's a 6'4", uh, 240 at outside linebacker, they think they can do a lot of different things, including – bringing him off the edge. Did you get the sense that uh, that Campbell's really uh, noticing Shaw, the big 6'6 uh, receiver, got a chance to play Sean Shaw Jr.? Um, do you get the sense that Campbell's, you know, maybe hinting to the media that, you know, pay attention to this kid? Yeah, I do. You know, I talked to him back even in the spring on the tailgate tour when I was up in Clear Lake, and he said, Shaw, if you looked at the receiver room, was probably the MVP of the spring. He's since mentioned he's had a good summer and he's mentioning him in that z conversation you know the depth start again yesterday two starters at mm-hmm. m and x are uh deshante jones and freak milton but that z spot's up for grabs they did not give it flat out to michael petway you know i, I would assume petway is kind of the leader just because of his experience and right. what he's done at the sec level but uh they're not just going to hand it to him and i think sean saw is in that discussion and joe skates is someone that campbell said has had a really good offseason so there's a lot of targets up for grabs and i think shaw skates um Michael Petway and even Darren Wilson, the Juco, they just brought him late. Campbell said he could be the fastest receiver on the team now that he's arrived. So they do think they have weapons, but somebody's got to step up, and probably two or three guys have to step up behind Jones and Milton. We saw Braxton Lewis, the uh, former walk-on now with his scholarship, start all games a a year ago. They bring in a grad transfer in Justin Bickham. Were you surprised to see him show up, not only listed as an either-or at the strong safety position, but he has some flexibility. I know there are a lot of people that thought, Maybe he would start out at cornerback. Looks like he's going to start at strong safety. Yeah, I, I took a step back a, a few questions ago when you guys asked about uh, Will McDonald by saying that was the biggest thing that stood out to me. The second biggest thing that I asked, or the other big thing that stood out to me and why I, it wasn't just McDonald was Braxton Lewis. He's been in an either-or battle. I have accused of it. started all 13 games last year. And so that stood out to me right away as well because, you know, there's this battle with Justin Dickham. And, um, you know, that's a positive thing. I think, you know, Campbell's tried to – push this idea that no no job is safe. I don't mm-hmm. think Braxton Lewis has done anything to not be listed as the clear-cut starter. It's more so they just keep bringing in guys that they want to compete for that. Um, you're right. They brought Bickham in as a versatile defensive back. He started 23 games at Rice over the last uh, three seasons. And, you know, it's a kid that uh, has played corner mostly, but uh, when they got him, they thought he was versatile enough to play either. So it looks like he's going to be in that battle. And it's actually listed as a three-way battle uh, with Tory Spears, a walk-on who was big for them on special teams last year. So, you know, again, I think Braxton Lewis is maybe the leader in the clubhouse because of his experience, but Bickham is 
uh, got a lot of experience uh, at the FBS level as well. I wonder if the coaches were just sending Lewis a message. Yeah, you're on scholarship now, but stay hungry type of thing. Mm. Uh, it's going to be a heck of a yeah, battle, yeah. Uh, but uh, fair to point that out. Hey, I, I get the cornerbacks. They're, they're both new, but we, we saw them last year. Is the biggest concern the punter when it comes right down to it with this Iowa State team? I'd say if you go through each level or each uh, phase of the game, all three phases, I think offensively probably, you know, there's a big battle at running back and receiver, but Brock Purdy's health is going to be the, probably the key to the offense. Defensively, you know, their cornerback depth is one of their biggest questions they have. Like you mentioned, just mentioned there, they have a couple of youngsters. They have four guys listed on in battles for the backup spots. Campbell said that and Sam linebacker are the biggest questions probably on defense. And then offense or uh, special teams probably is punter, but, Campbell did say that they really liked what Joe Rivera did. Uh, he was a guy that punted in the Drake game in, in those bad conditions. Uh, and Campbell said it made a big difference. He said it, he wishes they weren't in the spot where that punter needed to make a difference in that game, but that Rivera impressed them in that game. So they've been preparing him for this. He's been their holder the last year and been on the field. Um, it's a tough injury for Corey Dunn, but I think they think Joe Rivera can step in. And uh, they have a San Jose State walk-on um, who will transfer over and be names. Uh, it sounds like in the, in the next couple of weeks. So it wasn't just, uh, of course, talking to the players and the and uh, Coach Campbell there, but you had some recruiting news a couple of days ago, probably not exactly what you were expecting down there. Tell us about Wiggle, Willis Singleton, though. Big man from Illinois, defensive tackle. Picked Iowa State over some good offers. Illinois, Louisville, Cincinnati, Michigan State, Missouri. Pretty good get there for ISU. Yeah, it would have been nice if he saved it for like today right. or something. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get down there Sunday, saw he's going to announce at 5 p.m. Monday. I was like, I guess I'm staying at AT&T Stadium a little later. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a big gift for Iowa State, particularly because it's probably the, one of the most important positions in this 2020 recruiting class. After the season, of course, they graduate Ray Lima and Jamal Johnson on the interior, and so they need to get bodies in there. Um, and he's been their top target for a long time. He was the first Power 5 offer from Iowa State. He cut his list about a month or so ago, and then right after he cut his list, Michigan State and Missouri offered it. Michigan State's a school that has really recruited Chicago well, and especially defensive linemen, so that was a, a tough battle. And ultimately, it sounded like it came down to Iowa State or staying home at Illinois, uh, but Iowa State wins out, and uh, he's a priority and uh, brings their class in out to 16 commits. Alex Halstead, CycloneAlert.com. Alex, thank you for popping on. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good to talk to you. Alex Halstead, Cyclone Alert, as we uh, put a capper on Big 12 Media Days. All right, we're going to talk golf next. The final uh, major championship of the season is, what, 12, 14, 16 hours away? Somewhere like that? Cause no. They, what time no, do they no, start? No. 14 hours away. 14. Oh. 12.35. Beautiful. A.M. How early are you going to get up tomorrow? 6, 5.30. Yeah. Normal. Normal. I'm not getting up any earlier to watch it. No. Even in Chicago? No. No, no. Nope. I'll probably still be up watching it. You really will? Oh, yeah. So you're going to get there by what time? Well, we'll do that at 11 o'clock because okay. we got to get Matt Rudy on the other yeah. side. Matt Rudy, Trent, and I will talk golf uh, in the 11 o'clock hour. David Kaplan brought to us by Centurion Stone. Catch up on the Cubs with Cap and John Miller, HawkeyeNation.com. As we segue from the Big 12 to the Big 10, Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. 1460 KXNO. Streaming live from coast to coast on iHeartRadio, this is 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome.
Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Coming up in the 11 o'clock hour, David Kaplan on the Cubs, John Miller, HawkeyeNation.com. Right now, Matt Rudy, Golf Digest, he joins the program. Matt, great to talk to you again. Golf in a minute. Trent and I are, after the show today, leaving to Chicago, for Chicago, Big Ten Media Days. Your alma mater is Michigan State. There's a lot of folks out there, Matt Rudy, that believe that they're uh, being slept on. Don't sleep on Sparty this year. If there is one that's going to break up the party at the top of the division, amongst Michigan and Ohio State, maybe look no further than Michigan State. Your thoughts? You know what? One of my favorite things about this current iteration of Spartan fandom, whether you're talking about the football team or the basketball team, (laughs) I think they're they're, they're easy to root for. Uh, I I think they overachieve. And and I think uh, they they get a lot out of both the the, the McDonald's All American style recruits they get and the, and the kind of run of the mill overachiever recruits they get and and I, I always like coming into those matchups being the underdog and and uh, it makes the the smack talk with my old Michigan you know, University of Michigan friends and Ohio State friends all that more pleasant when we finally come out on the. You know, on the top side of some of those matchups, so I'm 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 uh, cautiously optimistic. Let's put it that way. I, I think you should be. Well, let's get to the golf, and where I want to start with you is is Brooks Kepka. Does does he really not practice? Uh, have you heard that before? Was he just you know trying to pull one over on the media? He snubbed Tiger. Apparently, became a talker. Uh, what do you know? You know, I, I've actually physically witnessed him practicing, and he, he does practice. Uh, I think what he's doing is very wise. I think he's, cre- he's created a narrative for himself, and and he's playing a role, and it's kind of a supercharged role. You know, it it, it has a basis in fact. He's definitely a guy that doesn't um, grind it out over. You know, he doesn't watch a lot of golf and wax philosophical about how wonderful you know Augusta National is, and it's a dream just to be there. And I think the lack of mysticism that he has about the sport actually helps him win tournaments. He's not he's not overwhelmed by the moment because he's just out there trying to to squish the other players. And and I think he's supercharged that feeling and made it kind of a part of this character he plays. And it's getting him attention. And it's getting you know people are talking about it. They're writing about it. And and I think it's it's wise. I, I think when you can play a, a a version of yourself as a character and it, it makes you memorable. It makes you marketable, and and uh, I think the sport needs a variety of characters that all kind of play different roles so they can play off each other. I think it's great. There is a notion out there that he is not shouldn't be the favorite at the Open, where it's played link style. You got to put your driver away, and that's not exactly Brooks Kepka's game. And we've seen him win different styles in different ways. Of course, the U.S. Open, which can be the most difficult of ways. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Kepka shouldn't be the favorite? That it should be somebody else? Well, I don't think he should be the favorite, but it doesn't have anything to do with what you just described. I, I think putting the driver away just benefits guys that hit it far because they hit their three wood farther, they hit their three irons farther, they hit their five iron farther. I think any time the, the the course lets you hit other shots, assuming you're a relatively accurate player. I think Brooks Kepka's in, in major championships, his strokes gains numbers, if you leave the driver out of it, are just as good without the driver as they are, you know, when he, when he gets to bomb it away. Um, so, so the, the players that, that can, can hit all those shots and, and 
and, and do things, you know, whether they're hitting an iron off gear or driver or hitting driver, that, that that's all fine. But what really matters in major championships and, and it really at the masters, it, it was reinforced, you know, when they had all that bad weather in Augusta and they had to show up early and play on Sunday, I, I heard a couple teachers say something that I hadn't really thought about before and, and really made sense to me, which is the, the, the players that can deal with the, the upset, you know, the, how, you know, when things don't go your way, when the schedule changes, when you have to change your preparation, the, the players that can deal with that with some kind of balance are the ones that play well. And Kepka traditionally has been able to do that. You know, at Shinnecock, when the greens were, were dying, all the players were coming in and complaining about how it was really unfair. His response was the one you want, which is, hey, man, everybody's playing this golf course the way it is. and, and that, That's what we have in front of us, and that's what I'm going to do. And, and and at the British Open, I think, especially with the weather forecast we're getting, uh, if, if you can deal with the potential for bad luck with the weather, you know, getting the bad part of the draw with weather, or having to deal with wind and rain and conditions that aren't what you expect, the players that can deal with those kinds of things and and be calm about it, those are the guys that you want to you want to pick. And and generally speaking, European players have to deal with that kind of stuff more often. So if you're going to pick a favorite, you'd want to pick probably a, a European player who's used to links conditions and used to dealing with you know kind of the sideways wind and the rain. It's going to be 58 degrees. I mean, mm. That's that's <laughs> the, the the traditional Florida tour player. That's not something they see all that often. No, and uh, one of those Florida tour players is uh, a guy that's got a bad back, but he did win the May uh, the Masters this year, and that's of course Tiger Woods. I can't recall Matt um, a, a golf tournament, a major tournament, where seemingly Tiger isn't even confident in his game. I mean, he was that. That's the thing that's between his ears. Maybe one of the most important aspects of what made Tiger Woods. He doesn't seem to be confident. Maybe for the first time ever, the back is an issue. The weather is an issue. I think it would be a success if he's playing on Saturday and Sunday. Oh, I think so too. I, I do think he likes to downplay his chances and, and, and I think he revels in this new kind of underdog role, but, but there's a couple factors at play here. They're playing Port Rush, which is of course, nobody, no, no American players have ever played a major on. They've never seen it. It's not like you can have this deep well of institutional knowledge like Tiger might have at St. Andrews or mm-hmm. Carnegie, you know, a place where they've played a lot around. So everybody's coming in, you know, with the exception, obviously, of the European players who are familiar with it, but the, you know the American players are coming in and having to build a, a memory bank of where to hit the ball, you know, shots to hit, that kind of thing, and and that takes time. And and the unfortunate part for Tiger is physically, you know, he doesn't have unlimited time. He can't just go out and play 18 holes every single day, you know, grind it out like you would if you were 25 and in perfect health. So the question is going to be, you know, how 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 ready is he going to be physically? What does his back feel like when he gets up early and it's 46 degrees and raining? You know, what, what, what is that going to be like? And, you know, is he able to, to get the, the mental, the strategic preparation that he needs to hit the shots that are required? And obviously, you got to give him the benefit of the doubt for some of that because he's proven himself to be an unbelievable competitor. But if you're going to pick horses and one horse is in perfect condition, and it, and, and the, you know, Roy McIlroy, you know, if, if his body isn't bothered by the bad weather and he's played that golf course, you know, 500 times and he's hitting his driver the way he has been, that's an awful lot of advantages you're given to the younger guy.
You mentioned Port Rush, and we're going to see an open championship for the first time in a long time since the 50s in Northern Ireland. A lot of political, obviously, reasons behind that, too. How impactful for, for golf, and, and how important is this when you look at the Open Championship and going to Northern Ireland? I think uh, politically it's super important. What really needs to happen is it needs to be a, uh, a demonstration of what the sport's all about these days. Uh, you, what, what I would love to see is a, an international leaderboard with some some of the you know, the old guard kind of players mixed with some of these really exciting young players, both from Europe and from the U.S., and and that would really illustrate the point that everyone's trying to make that this is a worldwide game and, and that the game is in in good hands. I mean, if it turns out to be a dud and somebody not so interesting wins, I don't think any of the politics matter at all. It'll just be a <laughs> a boring place that we don't want to watch on TV. Again. Yeah. I'm Matt Rudy from Golf Digest. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood, give us a couple of names. Fleetwood's going to be my guy. Who do you like? Man, I love Tommy Fleetwood. I think we have this conversation every year, <laughs> and he's and he's always on the leaderboard. And, and I and I think about you guys. You know, I was walking around at the Masters, and, and I'm thinking, yeah, look, my my prediction's finally going to come true. And and my 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 thought about predicting majors is not so different than the way they use you know analytics in baseball, for example, which is you know you're picking skills, you're picking people that are good at stuff. And and while they might not win that particular week, you just figure that the skills are eventually going to prevail. And I think. You know, Fleetwood is a great example of that. Rory McIlroy is a great example of that. And, and you know, McIlroy's putting has been a lot better this year, and he's and he's been around on leaderboards and majors, and, and obviously he has the talent to do it. And, and and you figure the the familiarity with the with the conditions and and having the driving skills and the iron skills. Fleetwood is is essentially Rory McIlroy with you know eleven less yards off the tee, but twenty five percent better putting. So. I mean that's not a bad guy to pick. John Rahm's playing great. He just won a couple of weeks ago in Europe, and and that's a guy who's got game to win. You know, four, five, six majors. So if he can control the the temper and the attitude stuff, which again is a is a is a mystery in a week where there's bad weather and you have the potential to get bad breaks because of weather. I'm not so sure if I want to pick the the fra- the emotionally <laughs> fragile guy, but 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 skill wise, those are those are three pretty good picks. You got a lottery ticket for us. You got us way down on, on that board that you, know, you can throw a couple bucks at, maybe uh, hit something big on the futures market. I wish that my, <laughs> I, somebody asked me that question in a radio show three weeks ago, and I picked Bernd Wiesberger, but he won last week. So, <laughs> so I don't know if he's as big of a, of a mystery or a wild card as he might have been if, if we'd had this conversation seven days ago. But, but that's an example of exactly what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a, you know, he, he looks like he's from Central Casting. If you're going to make a tour player, he's like six two, you know, super fit guy, and smashes the ball. And nobody's ever heard of him. And and I think the the problem if you go to Europe is the European the, the betting markets in Europe know about those players. Right. It's just the average American fan doesn't. And uh, I mean, that, that'd be as good a pick any but as any, but. Unfortunately, he blew my cover by winning last week. Hmm. Sixty-five to one now. For that is him. a big ticket, uh, Matt. We got maybe it's unfair to ask you this to do it in thirty seconds. But what has happened to Justin Thomas? Oh, I don't think anything's happened so much to Justin Thomas. I think he's going through this, some of the same things that that Jordan Spieth has gone through. And and what's happened in golf is when you see people come charging out of the gate like Jordan Spieth did or like Rory McIlroy did, it is really hard to win majors in general. If you go, if you go back a hundred years in golf, 
what these players are doing is is an anomaly. What Brooks Koepka is doing is an anomaly. It's hard to win majors. Just ask Phil Mickelson and and you know to win so you know so many tournaments and to do so well coming out of the gate in your career. The the reality, as McElroy is experiencing, is there's streaks and slumps in anybody's career. And and to think you know that we're writing off someone like Jordan Spieth and say, well, you know, he hasn't done much in the last year or two mm-hmm. years. That's a fair point. Careers are long. Yep, careers are long and. And I think, you know, you can have a, a little injury, you know, you can have a wrist thing, you can, you know, you can be changing some stuff in your equipment. There's a lot that goes into it and careers are long. And I just think we're in a, a little bit of a low point. We could be, Matt. We've got three seconds left. We're going to run out of hour. We'll talk to you on Monday. Thank you, Matt Rudy.